Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Proverbs. And let me read you a couple of verses out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3 at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. You know, guys, sooner or later I was going to have to say something about giving. And this is the time of year when I normally address the subject, and um, unfortunately, the um, what we're all facing right now um, might mean that perhaps we're we would like some direction from God, and He certainly gives it. But I, I have chosen to uh, address this subject uh, on a day which is otherwise dedicated to the to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And and some of you might think it a bit odd that I have chosen today. Um, what I'm hoping is that by the time I'm finished that you will you'll get a sense of my motives and uh why I've chosen to combine these two. Hopefully you'll see the wisdom of of doing so. How is it that the wisest man that ever lived directs us to manage and to use our wealth? He's, he puts it pretty simply, succinctly, and in pretty much uh, five words, six words. He says um, in verse uh, 9 of Proverbs 3 that uh, we should handle our money in a way that God is honored. Now, what does that mean? Well... It's a simple statement. It only contains six words. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And there's only one of those words that is, is the least bit ambiguous. And that's the word honor. Um, what does that mean? Well, guys, uh, that is, um, that's a, it does have a certain ambiguity to it, yes. But it is a word that we do use. For instance, we're instructed by the Ten Commandments to honor our parents. Uh, Peter instructs us to honor the king. Uh, Paul mentions in, in Romans 13 that we should um, give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, so as ambiguous as we might want to make that word, honor, we really know what it means. I mean, we, we know when we honor our parents and we know how and we know when we don't. We um, We husbands... We know when we honor our wives and when we don't, don't we? There's a multiplicity of ways to um, to give honor. But my point is simply this, guys. We can't claim ignorance. We can't hide behind ignorance when it comes to the word honor. We are simply to use our wealth in such a way that God is honored. And if I were to ask you... Is God honored by the way you use your wealth down deep? You know the answer to that question. 
It's either yes or no. So instead of talking about legal minimums and percentages or pre-tax, post-tax business, can we say that God is honored in the way that we use our the wealth that he's provided for us? Can we say that? If we can't, then we fix it. We change it. And if we're serious about honoring God with our wealth, I, I, he, will, he will direct us as to how that's done. Um, find somebody that's really interested in, in heeding uh, verse 9 there, and, and that they wrestle around with God a while. He will direct them, I promise you. I, I can tell you this. Giving 10% of your income away doesn't necessarily mean that, that you honor God. Notice that word first fruits in, in verse 9. First fruits is a word of distribution. It's, a, it, it's who gets first fruits, the best, the priority. Exactly who is honored by the distribution of our wealth. I mean... Um, if I spend more money on my cell phone bill than I than I uh, give to the things of God, then who would you say is honored there? If I um, if I reduce my giving so that I can afford other gadgets, I mean, what do you what do you what do you think? Huh? It's pretty easy. You see, guys, honor is is so much more complex than some kind of discussion about a percentage. Because percentages tend towards legalism, methinks. Um, to honor requires a whole lot more of you. You've got to... Um, it's going to mean that you're going to have to spend some time with God and ask Him. It's going to mean that you um, are going to have to question your motives and examine them. And that's always good. That's always a good thing. To be able to spend time with God and to and to take my heart and to try and and bring to bear what's really there, and that's what the word honor requires. Now, let me try to explain to you why I um, I've chosen to say that today. It's because of this. Gang, in the Lord's Supper, we get an object lesson. And there is a principle contained in that object lesson. Um, and, and here, let me show you the object lesson first, and then we'll talk about the, the, the principle later. But here's, among all the things that this teaches, among all the things that this this sacrament uh, communicates, here's one of the things that it communicates. God honored us with his wealth. He didn't give us his leftovers. He didn't pinch pennies. He didn't throw scraps at us. He wasn't parsimonious or penurious. He gave us his first fruits. He gave his best, his, his first, his only begotten, his only beloved. 
Now, let, let me tell you a story that I, I think illustrates everything that I'm trying to say. And, and you know the story. It's a familiar story. It's, it's the story that's found, uh, a, a story that's told about Abraham in Genesis 22. You know the story. Uh, uh, Abraham and his wife, uh, Sarah, had struggled to have a baby. And so they finally get pregnant and she has a son by the name of Isaac. And, and someday, somewhere in the course of his youth, and I don't, the text doesn't tell us how old he was, but let's just say he was around eight years old. God comes to Abraham in, in Genesis 22 and he says, you know, that only begotten son of yours, I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him on a hill that I'll, I'll tell you about when you get going. So sure enough, Abraham gets, uh, gets up early in the morning. He takes his son and he goes off. Uh, in a direction and he comes to a mount and, and, uh, he's gonna sacrifice Isaac there. And you may remember that they're walking up the, the hill and, and this eight year old boy, uh, looks at his dad and he says, Daddy, I, I see the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Don't you know that just tore that little daddy up? Daddy, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the, where's the lamb that you're gonna sacrifice? I don't see that. Abraham just keeps on walking. He gets to the top of this mountain and he straps his son uh, onto the altar and, and uh, he stands over him with a knife and, is, and he's about to, he raises the knife and he's about to stab him and a voice from heaven comes and it's in verse 11. It says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. God intervenes and stops him and interrupts this, this thing and, and, and Isaac is spared. You know that story. Let me read you the last half of verse 12. He says, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, two observations, two thoughts about that. First, what was it that convinced God that Abraham feared him? Pretty simple, isn't it? It was what Abraham was willing to give. Abraham was willing to give his best. Now, there's the principle, but we'll come back to it in a minute. Here's the other thing that I want you to see from, from this statement. Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Fast forward with me, and let's just imagine that Abraham was at the crucifixion of Christ. Abraham is there while Christ is being crucified at Calvary. And as he's gazing at the Son of God being crucified in his place, Abraham, Abraham might have said something like this. God, God, now I know you love me. How do, how do you know that now, Abraham? Because, God, you gave your best. You did not withhold your only begotten son. You, you have given your best as a sacrifice for me. You see, guys, 
the litmus test for love is what we're willing to give, what we're willing to sacrifice. Now, if that is true, and it is, how much do you love God and how much does he love you? Well, I can tell you the second half of that that question, how much does he love you? It is answered. Here. As a young Christian, we became Christian. This is in the early 70s, and I still remember this. But we, we couldn't have been Christians over a year. And we were attending Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and Jim Kennedy. If you know Jim Kennedy, uh, if anything, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Kennedy was more dramatic than I. Um, you may not believe me, but, I mean, he was, he was a dramatist. But I never will forget him doing this, what I'm about to do. And, and you've seen this done before. But the first time I ever saw it was with Jim Kennedy, and it has stayed with me ever since. He said, how much did God love you? Uh, he didn't love you this much. He didn't love you this much. He loved you this much. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the litmus test for love is what you're willing to give. That, that's, that's the principle, guys. Once you grasp what God has done for you in Christ, then honoring him with your wealth, with your, with your life, becomes your joy. To, to speak of giving as a duty, it just seems somehow to miss the mark for me. You know, I, I, I don't give to my wife out of duty. Giving is a derivative of love. Nowhere, nowhere is that principle better seen than in this sacrament. Christ is God's wealth given to us. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will now meet us at this table and remind us what is being said by these symbols. That you will um, that you will convince us all over again that your love for us is seen in what you were willing to give in Christ Jesus. Now, Father, might this, might this sacrament remind us that we are loved, convince us that we are loved, all because we see what you were willing to give to redeem us. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.